Hey, before we kick off the episode, I'd like to let you know that nothing Sam and I say during our series on investing should be seen as investment advice. Each person has a different financial situation, and what makes sense for Sam or me might not, and probably will not, make sense for you. We are not financial advisors, and you should do your own research before making any investment. Know that all investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, and always remember that if it sounds too good to be true, it is probably not true. Please enjoy the rest of the show. This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative, and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico, and as usual, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Sam, and today we are discussing the Navalmanac, or the Almanac by Naval Ravikant. Sam and I, I would consider us novelists, if that's a thing, but as, like, we're fanboys, uh, or at least, like, I'm a, I'm a very big Naval fanboy. Naval is, I think he's originally from, from India. And then pretty early in life, he moved to the US. I'm sorry, um, if you're going to call yourself a fanboy, like, I'm not sure where this guy's from. He's discrediting yourself. Do you have to know his whole life? <laughs> I don't know any of these things. I'm pretty sure he's from India also. And yeah. um, okay, fine. I'll shut up and stop being a troll <laughs> straight away. Yeah, what he says is great sense. and where he comes from doesn't matter at all. And <laughs> we're followers of his beliefs and stuff and yeah. the details about him don't, don't matter so much perhaps yeah exactly i mean if whenever naval is on any type of medium like on a podcast or on a show or every write stuff it's always like every single time that stuff blows my mind and i've been like i've actually like this is the first person ever where i was like i probably consumed almost all of the content there was just because he's so brilliant and he spoke to me on, on so many different levels but anyway what is the almanac so it's actually not something he wrote himself so the almanac is kind of someone feeling the same as we did but taking it a step further and so it's basically someone who gathered all of naval's like tweets quotes from from interviews quotes from articles and tried to put them and organize them together in one kind of book that sums up i would almost say like the religion of navalism which talks about you know wealth money status um, happiness happiness philosophy yes. how to live um, exactly so much stuff um, yeah. like how to be healthy how to work out and he he generally talks about like how to live a good life very broadly speaking mm. and what subset of that is money and so what we suggest to do in this podcast because we just said it before we started this episode it feels like we could probably read this book in five different seasons on each of these topics that we just discussed and so it feels like right now yeah. it makes more sense. You could to almost have a podcast that just goes into sort of each one different area that he sort of mentioned something on and then just like do an episode on that. And yeah, there's like the big broad themes that we're probably trying to just cover like one theme in an episode. And so if we're doing something later in our eons of the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast and we're covering philosophy, we might go into Naval's thoughts on philosophy as that part of the book, etc. Yeah, um, 100%. Because why not? All right. So, yeah, let's start diving in. So one of the ways that Naval got very, very famous was because of one very famous tweet storm, which is basically like a Twitter thread. And it was titled, How to Get Rich Without Getting Lucky. And I think this is probably the foundation of his thoughts on money, wealth, and investing. We're not going to read through the whole thing. We're going to talk about the things that I think jump out because, because it's, it's a series of like 20 tweets and each one of them is like a concept that I feel we could do a whole podcast about. So I think we're going to pick out the ones that we found most relevant, uh, especially because a lot of it also talks about, in general, business and entrepreneurship, like what kind of career should you pursue? And although I think it makes sense to touch on that, maybe we should try and focus on more like the investing side and how to think about that stuff. Make sense? Mm. Yeah, definitely for this episode. Yeah. And cool. well, season. Yeah. All right. Um, let's dive in. I'm going to like read the first one that stood out. And it's also, I think, a main one. And basically his point is seek wealth, not money or status. Wealth is having assets that earn while you sleep. Money is how we transfer time and wealth. And status is your place in the social hierarchy. Sam, what do you think of this? 
I think this is a good way of seeking how to like the framework of what you're trying to do with money because you kind of get a bit lost chasing money and status without really thinking about what it's doing for your overall happiness and what the point of it is and I think wealth is more of like the freedom to have time to do the things you want whereas money is like an endless game you can always have more money there's always going to be someone that's much more richer than you and you end up trading the things like time with family stuff that you enjoy to have more money without really becoming a wealthy person and also the same with status you end up like being a bit of a dick and like losing the relationships that are actually important in your life just trying to get like more people to like you but they're not even the right people that you want to be liking you and that kind of stuff and it's just like a nice boiled down condensed version of what is actually important and so I like it. What is uh, for you the difference between money and wealth according to Naval? Um, money is the transactional value well transactional unit of stuff by which you can buy time and wealth is having enough money that you can do what you want with your time. Interesting. I understand it differently. Um, That's fine. <laughs> you yeah, can yeah. get with your understanding. No, I mean, yeah, for me, how I see it is is money is like this unit of account. Mm. And for me, the difference is, so you can have someone that has $10 million on the bank account. That's having money. But someone who owns an asset that produces, let's say, $1 million of dollars per year, that's wealth. Mm. And so for a lot of people, being rich is having a lot of money in a bank account. And I think Naval would say, no, like money on the bank account is useless, although it does provide freedom and stuff. But it's way more useful to have money deployed or capital deployed in assets that actually generate revenue and generate money while you sleep so you don't have to do anything and you can basically live off the returns that you make while still keeping the underlying asset. Yeah, okay. I agree. That's sort of the net deployment. I feel like it's the same thing as in when you are wealthy, you are no longer working for money. You have enough money to do what you want because you've deployed your money into things that earn you money and you're not so worried about like how you use your time. You have more freedom. But I guess that is like perhaps a better definition by the way he sort of talks about it because he, he says like... A, the reason the first half of the book is basically dedicated to wealth creation is it's like the most important thing is to first become wealthy because that's kind of important for your happiness and your other things. Mm -hmm. And it, it, everything kind of interlinks around like happiness, stoicism and, and your health. And like the other things are like the first thing that's most important to him each day is that he exercises because that way he knows he's definitely exercised every day. And that's part of like more important than spending time with family or like anything else is that he is healthy and that way he's going to have like a longer life and spend more time with family net overall kind of thing. And so he does sort of interlink everything, but he sort of says that overall for your life, you kind of need to get wealthy so that you can actually have the freedom of thought to be a happier person because it just unblocks you from needing to strive for stuff and working for the wrong things etc mm -hmm. and so, so yeah wealth is important <laughs> what would he define as like being wealthy like at what point would you consider yourself wealthy let's say yeah so i think he would say having stuff deployed in a way that you have assets that are creating value for you and that you're able to do the things that you want but i think he would still also define like wealth is in he sort of he talks about like, like long-term games and if what you're doing each day is something that is like a game to you and you really enjoy and you can play it forever and like you can do that for 16 hours a day and just have pure enjoyment, that is kind of wealthy. But I think you also need like something in the bank that's like leverage just in case your health declines or something and you can't do what that thing is that makes you happy. You should still have like a backup. So I think the point where you hit that level that you're, whatever you're doing to make money is just pure enjoyment and there is something to back you up, I guess, would be the point where you would be classed as wealthy. <laughs> mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think I would define it probably like more narrow, where even if you're doing something you really like, but you still have to do it to make money, to make a living, I think that probably still not falls under wealthy, although I get your point. And I think that's definitely initially something you should strive for, right? Mm. Find something that you enjoy so much that it doesn't feel like work, it feels like play. So for example, for me, 
today, these days, like working really long and, and long hours. Like I start work at 7 a.m. and I end at like 9 quite often, but it just doesn't feel like work at all. Like mm. I do it every day. I do it on the weekends. It feels like play. And at this point, I know that there's not a lot of people who could do the same and work that hard because they would consider it work. And I think mm. uh, that's probably also like a fundamental concept. But in general, so wealth, for me at least, it means that you have assets that work for you, that generate money for you that you can use to live from. And then at that point, you're free from having to do anything to make money, basically. So you're yeah. free from all responsibilities. So you can choose what to dedicate your precious time to. 100%. And so the next question is, how does he tell you to become wealthy? Because you can't always become wealthy instantly by just doing something that's super fun straight away. Let's say you have like no money at all. And he certainly seems to be very chilled out about the fact that like, like he could lose everything today and that like in five years time, he feels like he has a framework for making wealth that he would just be like in a top percentage of wealth again. And mm -hmm. as a side note, he runs a ridiculously amazing business for making himself wealthy. In case people don't know, know much about him, he's the founder of Angel List, which is a angel syndicate platform which we spoke about like angel investing in a earlier episode an angel is just a person investing in a company but like an angel syndicate is where like a group of people invest together in a company and kind of instead of having a vc they sort of invest one by one in a, as a, a group format i messed that part up but <laughs> what he's done is he's he allows anyone to form angel syndicates online and just invest in companies together and then he gets five percent of the carry every single time that a group of people invest in every single angel syndicate and there's millions of like oh, billions of pounds go through that platform every month and he has five percent of every single one of those investments into any company and the you're like does. what <laughs> that is <Yeah>. insane <laughs> he is like he owns more of literally every company that gets investment than like most people on the planet pretty much wow. so yeah he thought about a good business model there and he nailed it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And he's also been angel investing himself in plenty of companies whilst building that because that's obviously how he ended up coming to the idea of creating such a clever way to make shitloads of money. So anyway, side note, you probably can't do that anymore. Although in the UK, someone started something similar called Odin that just is optimized for the UK and you're like, Shit, why didn't I do that? This is, this is, mm. <laughs> this is so logical. Um, damn it. <laughs> so, yeah. Back to Naval and his ideas of how to just get wealthy if you're like starting from nothing. Do you remember any of his good lessons or quotes? <laughs> yeah, basically what he says is, arm yourself with specific knowledge, accountability, and leverage. And so specific knowledge is knowledge that you cannot be trained for. Because if society can train you for it to do it it can also train someone else and in that way replace you so basically it means like make sure you can do stuff that actually no one else on this planet can and that way you'll be invaluable for society and be in very high demand the next part of that was accountability so embrace accountability and take business risks under your own name society will reward you with responsibility equity and leverage and i think that's very strong and i think this is something under underappreciated today and that is like i think more and more having a good name and a strong personal brand is going to be like super invaluable moving forward. And if you look at, for example, Naval himself or someone like Tim Ferriss or just like influencers in the business world, the amount of opportunities these people get is just mind blowing. I think Naval said this on a kind of podcast, like he has more ways to deploy capital and make money than he can count. And right now he's like, he probably has like a threshold, like if this doesn't make me 20% on average per year, an expected return of 20% on average per year, I'm not even looking at it, right? Mm -hmm. And because he just has so many opportunities and that's because he's just built like a very strong business, like personal brand, because he took business risks under his own name and ended up being su successful and like he took accountability for his failures and people just respect him now. Mm, big time. Yeah. And then Yeah, those I thought were good points. The other ones that stuck out to me were, he talks about, Becoming a builder and becoming a salesman is the two mm. important qualities you kind of need. So some people generally might have affinity to um, one either direction, but he would say like if you had to pick one to start with, become a builder just because if you can like build code and that kind of thing, you can just get a really, really good salary or you can like build what it is that's scalable that 
becomes a business yourself and you're not dependent on other people. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you're just a salesman, it can be a bit harder to start from nothing and get someone to build the thing that you're trying to sell. And the amount of people that have good ideas and like, oh, I'll just get a coder to help me. And like, but there's so many people with ideas of something that might work in the future. And you're like, oh, it's going to make millions of dollars. I'll just get this coder. They're obviously going to want to join me. And they're like, yeah, but they're swimming in ideas from other people trying to get them to build things for them and they've also got some ideas themselves like no one's going to build your app idea for you like period Mm -hmm. unless Mm -hmm. you're such a good salesman that you manage to convince people to give you a a load of money to then go and get it built which you have to somehow do up front so it's kind of easier if you're starting from nothing to become a builder as a skill and then become a salesman but ideally if you have both of those as a combination you're like pretty unstoppable and as long as you are like slightly relentless and keep trying you will be mm-hmm. successful and um so yeah learn to build learn to sell were his main tips on, on on making money i felt along with what you just said yeah and i also think that it's probably easier to learn how to sell than to learn how to build so sam and i for those who don't know which probably most of you don't know uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like why am i saying that anyway we met during a coding boot camp here in brussels where i live and so we learn how to program together, but this was a kind of post-graduate kind of thing, right? We yeah. both had our degrees from university. You studied biology, I studied business, and we just took this crash course almost in, you know, how to write code and make stuff happen on the internet, on websites and stuff, which was super invaluable. But I noticed that later because I, I became a developer and, and built some stuff afterwards. I really missed the foundational knowledge about how computers work mm. how that like the internet works uh, how packets travel and all that stuff and you don't learn that in a crash course on how to build a website right and so that foundational knowledge if i would have studied computer science at a university i might have become like more of a builder because i just had more foundation to build upon but now it feels like i'm probably best off selling <laughs> yeah um I'm the snake oil salesman kind of guy that's me mm, definitely as in i I regret one, yeah, not studying that more in depth at university, I think, because of I think the fundamental stuff from science that I learned and things I don't feel like I learned a lot more than I could have done out of like the general interest parts. Whereas the other thing I regret is is not doing something fully focused on sales, like just having to work with a phone ringing loads of people and doing kind of sales meetings and having like targets and deadlines for like the amount that you make or like an estate agency or something and having like your income dependent on how much you sort of sold because I've never really been forced to try and sell and I kind of done it accidentally in other things but it's never been like my main main focus and I feel like that would also have been like a really useful like just framework as like a lens to view the world and like a power that you have rather than being like, oh, I think right now I kind of need to be selling something and (laughs) knowing like when you're in that zone, just Mm -hmm. with better awareness, I think would be great as a thing to just have to turn on. So yeah, both of those areas, I think I could have indexed more highly on. So there's lots of stuff that goes into sales, like being able to tell stories and have clear thinking and understand like empathy and all that kind of stuff that I sort of feel like I've done a lot of work on, but like actually just having a deadline and knowing, okay, I need to pick up the phone lots and just call these people and knowing that you're sort of wasting time making friends with someone that's probably given you some buy signals that, well, some clear, like, I'm not really going to buy signals, but I'm happy to talk to you and being like, actually, I'm trying to run a business. I've only got so much time. I need to be a bit more cutthroat as opposed to just mm-hmm. being nice to everyone is with something that would have been more useful. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, that's me. Yeah. So, so learn to sell and learn how to build. Mm for building wealth if you're starting from zero right yeah because i think this ties into um so remember i said like three points arm yourself with specific knowledge accountability and then finally leverage and i think this leverage is really key so fortunes require leverage and business leverage comes from capital Mm. people and products with no marginal cost of replication which are for example code and media so let's go through those three so one is capital right the way you can leverage yourself and your skill set is by, for example, raising money from others. If I have $100,000 in my net worth and I feel like I'm a very good decision maker and I can deploy that capital and allocate that capital very well, if I get a 10% return per year, which is insane, I can only make $10,000 a year. That's all I make. Mm. But if I can convince others, and that's where the selling part comes in, to 
give me money as well so I can manage their money and I can convince people to give me 900,000 extra dollars, I have a million. And I'm at that point generating $100,000 a year. And if I can give a subset of that to the people that gave me money and keep the rest, that's the moment where you start getting leverage. And yeah, that's how you can, you know, build out something faster and, and build wealth faster than you would have without leverage. Hmm. Which makes sense. Yeah, it makes lots of sense. It does make me want to go on a quick tangent on your aggressive dislike of leverage in yeah, trading and crypto when you're like, but if you were going to get, take my money off me to sort of make extra money with this leverage in what you're investing in, why wouldn't you just take extra money off a trading platform to make extra money in what you're investing in? Because it's the same thing, apart from instead of losing money for your friends, you just lose it for yourself. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably because I personally don't need leverage anymore. Yeah. Right? I'm not at the $100,000 points where if I do 10%, where 10K is not enough, right? Like, yeah. I'm not a big fan of leverage. I understand that for others, they do need leverage. That being said, I think there's two types of leverage. There's like equity leverage and mm. debt leverage. Even if, if I would start from scratch, I would still not touch debt leverage. And the debt leverage, what I mean with that is when you're trading and buying stuff on stock markets or on the crypto markets, it's leveraging your money so for example for each dollar you invest you borrow one dollar to also invest but that means that if ever the asset that you just bought halves in price you lose everything and that's, so that's in, in general something i would always avoid that said equity leverage i think is different so equity leverage is something where there's no real like risk to lose everything right because I think the risk of loss is equally spread between all the participants. So if you start a company, you know, you're leveraging by raising equity. Yeah. But if, if like, you're never going to like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's it, I, I don't know how to explain, but do you get? Yeah, yeah. I, I do know. Yeah. But I just sort of thought it was nice to poke the beast a bit, basically. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because so, I thought about this exactly. Yeah, as you're saying, it's like, mm, yeah, this is some cognitive dissonance going on right now. Yeah. But it relates to a point where he says, whenever in life, optimize for independence rather than pay. So if you can be accountable on your output, what you get, that's better than being accountable on your input. So as in, instead of like everything that you give to make money, like of your own assets, so sort of what you can create for people that then generates money is better if you're kind of independently doing it. So if you're deploying capital independently for other people, it's the output of how much profit you make for them rather than how much you're able to just give to someone else deploying capital it's better because you kind of have the leverage to make more right i'm not sure if i've just gone to like a bit of a i think this makes sense to me thing there but <laughs> good <laughs> the, the weird ways in which sam's uh, brain works yeah. no, i agree i think uh, but we touched upon something i think which merits its own whole you know podcast mm. yeah cool maybe next maybe another time no yeah um let's continue on, on the, the yeah. leverage part right there was the capital which can be used as leverage then there's people leverage and that is basically the oldest form of leverage that is have people work for you right so if you start a company and you hire a bunch of people they can be your leverage so if you have nine others let's say that very simply they're doing the same thing as you do but they're doing it for you you're basically the next like your value generation and so that is the oldest form and then a very new form that came up that is the third type of leverage and that is the leverage that comes from products with no marginal cost of replication and that is code and media. So basically, for example, if I can build a trading robot that can make like a little bit of money every day and that can just do that while I sleep, I've effectively made like a little money machine where you put, mm. put money in and more money comes out. And that is what code allows you to do these days. And I mean, the th same is true for platforms like Facebook, right? Facebook is obviously a combination of people and code, but the platform itself, the code, leverages the capacity of all the people working on it. Like if you look at how many people work on Facebook, it's like a few thousand, maybe a few 10,000. And how many people they serve, which is a few billion, that ratio has never been like bare. In the past, it was like the ratio because of technology and code has only been increasing. So with code, one person can have like a way more impact. And I think that is something key to think about also when you're investing, right? When you're looking at an investment to make, thinking about how hard can this scale and how much leverage can be used on this, that is 
as we see at least how I think about how we're going to find, you know, the next Facebook to invest in. Mm. And then, then he says, like, if you can't code, right? Because what I just described was software. And if you want to build that, you have to be able to code. If you can't code, write books and blogs or record videos and podcasts, which is what Sam and I are doing because we're not that good at coding, unfortunately. Hey. Um, <laughs> but the, this, these podcasts and any videos that we make and any blogs that Sam writes, they could be read by one person, but also by a million person. And so these, again, have no extra like marginal cost of replication um, mm. and so can be super, super leveraged. Yeah, yeah. It's not like I have to write my blog every time someone wants to read it. It's like, okay, I did it once. It was an idea. And if it takes off, that's great. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, something that you also get better at doing by doing it. And I think it's like a nice infinite game to play in. And and that's perhaps a different side of things. But yeah, basically scalable things that keep on earning because people often talk about like investing in property and stuff which is just like something that is just like a residual earner which is great I think you should probably have some property in your portfolio but when you are starting smaller and you haven't got lots it's, it's, there's no cost to creating content or code for yourself if you're able to do mm-hmm. these things which is mm-hmm. I guess the point the other thing that he mentioned actually is um well, <laughs> the actual quote is the most important skill for getting rich is becoming a perpetual learner and to have to know how to learn anything you want to learn. No, you have to know how to learn anything you want to learn. I guess if you're a good learner, then yeah, you can learn how to do sales or code or write better or any of those things. And I um, fundamentally agree with the premise that like, okay, you're not born with any of the skills necessarily completely innately to get wealthy so as long as you can learn as the first skill if you've not got any other skills that's a good one and there's a great Coursera course on how to learn which you're not actually taught at school you are just taught stuff you're not actually taught how to learn which I think is a fundamentally ridiculous concept of our education Mm. systems and um, that's great we don't really have time to cover all of the points right now (laughs) but it's, it's a very good one to go into I haven't done that but I think it's really key. And it's, for example, what I've seen with my life this year, especially because I've kind of focused on the whole emergence of, you know, NFTs, Web3, gaming, mm-hmm. the metaverse. That's kind of the space I'm, I'm learning a lot in, like I'm leading into a lot. I'm reading up a lot. If you would look at my browser tabs, it's yeah. full of things that I still need to read. And I found that because I was able to dedicate myself to this, I've gotten quite of a head start compared to a lot of other people and especially where I live so in Belgium it feels like there's like a handful of people only that know the stuff that I now know because I've, yeah. I've, been, I've been focused so much on learning and which means that like I've gotten calls like from journalists and I've got quoted in like our local Wall Street journal um, <laughs> and I'm now asked to come on TV as well and talk about this stuff and the only reason I'm able to do that is because I was one, like willing to learn this, two, learned quite fast, and three, was willing to talk about it publicly, share my learnings, and just, yeah, it's just basically learn publicly. So I think one is, you know, learning is a superpower, and I think learning publicly, especially today, and that comes with the accountability that we discussed earlier, I think makes it even stronger because, yeah, I think we learn from our mistakes, and if you make a public mistake, it's extra painful. But you learn even more, and um, I think mm. that's that's very powerful. And it's one of the reasons why you know you and I decided to do this podcast, right? Yeah, definitely. I think it's well, public things just super helpful for our own credibility and things, and also just nice in that it makes us do it more. As in, mm. as we're busy, I obviously really enjoy chatting to you, and like I learn so much more from the things I'm learning by having these conversations. But on like the priority level of when it's just us getting around to call each other to have a chat it's just not quite as much as okay we're recording a podcast even if no one's listening it somehow just like does something to your brain that makes it work and um that's great which is why i kind of feel like more people should start podcasts or something where they hang out with their friends and learn stuff or do something useful Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. just like building in public like i'm starting stuff with class now to just sort of discuss what we learn each week from running a business and how we're changing things and probably do like one of like a quick update on the week and another one being like a topic of discussion being like a what do we think about blockchain and nfts in the creator economy or Mm. what have we learned about customer support and just kind of give a bit of a like 10 minute rant on something that we have like some deeper thoughts on and like a 
five to ten minute okay i fucked up with this <laughs> this week and i and this is how i now approach vcs or whatever and just build in public and create useful stuff for people but also have useful conversations for ourselves and like in a year's time if a vc wants to go look at us they can kind of see a bit more of our story and know that we've been doing cool stuff that's so true that's so true mm. i've actually just today talked to a founder who wants to set up a company that like tracks all of your activity like in web3 and web3 yeah. we i don't know if we specifically talked about this in a pod but that's like the new version of the internet is very related to blockchains but basically like it can track like all the contracts you've deployed all the voting you've done within you know decentralized autonomous organizations within DAOs. it can track your participation in discords what roles you have in different discords and it's basically like a linkedin for web3 it's uh it's pretty cool but um yeah that's um made me think of that another thing i'd like to talk about so there's two more points i'd like to touch upon before we close this is one that's people need to understand that ethical wealth creation is possible mm. i have quite a few discussions and actually like one of the people that i talk about this with is actually my own sister that got blessed to be born in a family that's relatively well off and she's like very socialist and marxist in her thinking mm. and she sees wealth creation or the pursuit of wealth creation as something bad. And so, yeah, we have discussions about this. And I always, like, I really believe that ethical wealth creation is possible, which is what Naval mm. says. And I think people don't realize that there's a reason that entrepreneurs get really rich. And that is because people are buying what they sell and they're actually adding value to the world. And so I don't understand why there's always, there's always so many people feeling so bad about like, why should people ever have more than $1 million? It's like if 1 million people are willing to pay them $2 each for what they're doing, then that's how you get so rich. That's basically how it works. And I mean, if they didn't add value, then people wouldn't pay. It's very simple. Yeah, like Naval with his angel list, is of, it just makes it easier to invest in companies. It makes it easier for people who don't have shitloads of money to get some equity in a company. It makes it easy for me to aggregate my friends who maybe have some money, want to invest in something to put them together and like make these companies happen. And it's a useful service. And he gets to make a bit of money every single time someone uses it. And that's fine. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> that's that money he can then use to make another platform and company that adds more value to society, which is basically for me what mm. Elon Musk is doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some absurdities about the world like why do football players get so much like it's in, they somehow make people feel happier for having watched what they're doing but it doesn't seem like they should be being paid like millions a week just to run around kicking a football yeah. and but i can agree want to watch them i don't know that it's, it's a bit odd but um okay but i guess that's something i had against sales was like i felt like sales was something where you learn to sell things to people that they don't need or want and so when i was younger i was very like on the comment side of like well sales must be bad because it just makes money for people that don't need it and now i'm like hey actually i've kind of realized that i really enjoy sales in that for me sales is helping solve people's problems and it's understanding what the problem is and actually solving it for them and like i like solving problems i'm a freaking like ideas person who can't stop thinking about things when I found out what the problem is and so naturally that makes so much sense with sales but that's not what I thought of it was of when I was younger which um I know it's like a concept of how you perceive things mm -hmm. and what I also found interesting to build on that is is concept of like the difference between wealth creation games and status games mm. and so in the beginning right he said like seek wealth not money or status and the status thing I think is fascinating so First of all, status is basically where you are in the social hierarchy. You're placed there. And it is fundamentally a zero-sum game. And so zero-sum means that if one person wins, someone else needs to lose, right? Mm. Because this is a hierarchy. If you move up one place in the social hierarchy, someone else needs to get pushed down one place. And so that's that's social games. And, and I mean, it's hard to argue with that, right? It's just true. And so basically he says that avoid playing zero-sum games so avoid playing status games like don't try to increase your status focus on wealth creation because wealth creation games are positive sum which means that you can win and someone else can win and someone else can win as well and if multiple people can win and win together and i think that's yeah that's very important and an interesting distinction also because he said that ignore people playing status games because they gain status by attacking people playing wealth creation games and that's 
something that I see on social media a lot and just from like people on TV and politicians is like they're hating on people that make a lot of money. And it's fun to think that Naval believes that they're only doing that to increase their own status and, and oh, yeah. place on the social hierarchy just by pushing others down and having the moral high ground, which is something I, I'm always feeling like uncomfortable with. Mm, 100%. There is a quote around like, you can have fame or you can have money, but it's hard to have both. And like most people that are kind of in Hollywood or something could often become famous, but not made lots of money from it, which I don't think was in this book, but I've read it recently and you can kind of see it appearing in quite a few things, but also you can kind of see places where that doesn't quite occur correctly. So I'm, I'm a bit confused by the concept, but I don't know if you've thought about that one that much. About, what was it? like? About, you can have fame or you can kind of get rich, but it's hard to have both because you kind mm. of, you often sacrifice yeah. how much you make from a movie by like giving away like the rights to it and stuff to sort of have mm. your name out there a lot more. And you, if you're going to get like a leading role in something initially, you kind of will take like a lower thing because you're going to get more famous for it. But then like in the long run, like you know, if you're in Friends or something, you end up being paid like shitloads because if you're like the most famous. So I'm, I'm like, I'm a bit constructed, but I think it's maybe for more people is relevant, but you don't see it because you only see the, like the real success stories where you get like fame and wealth. So, yeah. yeah. Could it be that it, it's because if you get famous, you like need to spend a lot of money to keep that fame up? Yeah, something? yeah. To keep I your think relevance? basically like if you're in like the middle class of fame, you're actually not doing that well, perhaps. Something like that. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Anyway, just a random anyway. thing that maybe makes sense <laughs> or maybe doesn't. Um, there's a few other points that I thought were good. One is like just decisions on what to invest in, which is kind of like the point of everything it's been speaking about, but also if you find the right thing to do and the right people to work with, like invest deeply. And so part of being able to get wealthy is just your decisions and like working out. And I think that's one of the important areas that you get better at deciding is in, I've worked with various people over 10 years and some of them have been shitty and some of them have been great. And learning where you should invest really deeply, I think is important. And uh, I, I actually wrote in my diary two years ago, something about the fact that like, I should spend more time with you, Nico. And be like, Nico's mm. a fucking baller. He's great. I like having time with him. And I think it's just good for me in every level. And now we have a podcast together. We get to spend time together. And um, I think awesome. that's, that was a good decision framework for myself. So go me. <laughs> and we're clearly very famous because of that as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in a few years time could happen. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, to get to get onto your point, I think that ties in with, with my last point that I wanted to make, and which is also key, and that is play long-term games with long-term-minded people, which basically boils down to one of the most important concepts, I think, in this world, and that is the concept of compound interest. Compound interest is basically how insane wealth is generated, but I think it's also true with skills, with social connections, and with learning. And so it's basically fundamentally be patient and do good things. And if you're patient and you do good things, good things will happen to you on the long term. All these good things have a long-term effect, especially if you try to do these things within like a repetitive game, which means that if you're good to every cashier that you meet in every store mm. you go to, it doesn't have like the compound effect. But if within your industry, you talk to new people and you always try to think like, how can I help this person, put them in touch, uh, maybe give them some suggestions, some advice, just listen to them. And if you're bound to meet them again, this stuff is where compounding starts working Yeah. and how you can like really have some insane things happen over longer timeframes. Mm, definitely. I think it's one of those things that is literally just like karma. It's not necessarily, you don't directly get it back straight away from someone you're kind to, but overall it just sort of happens and, and even like the security guards or the receptionist of where you work, I still think I've had great things come back to me because of just being nice to them. Mm. Like when I was yeah, a student with I'm my first saying. business, like I always got like all the free food after like catering events that happened because the security guard liked me and knew that I'd be working late on my business and stuff. And so I ate for free like half the nights of the week because I got I was made mates with a security guard or like Javi worked for me who was like the receptionist at an office that I was in. And like, I kind of was nice to him. And he was like, I need to do something different with my life. And he seemed like a cool guy. I spoke to him like different options and things. He's like, you run a company. Can I help you? I was like, yeah, yeah. You, I think you're going to work hard. And that went really well. So nice. it does kind That's of awesome. come back from in like random areas that you don't expect. But I think you do notice that around just 
people that are kind of kind. It just kind of goes into their aura of like how they come across. And I certainly noticed that with like a lot of the people that I've interviewed, like they genuinely care about like the cleaners that used to work for them. They're like, hey, cleaning's freaking important. Like if we don't have cleaners each day in our office, we have like a freaking chaos if like the toilets aren't there. And like they're important to my business just in the same way that I am, just in different ways. And they actually kind of care that those people are happy. And it definitely sort of made me think about that stuff, which is good, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. There was something else I wanted to say, and I don't know if it even relates to this. Uh, I think it relates to the last point I made. There was more about like your decisions, and he says like judgment is like a super skill. He's just got like a better quote that sums it up better than that you have to put in the time on what you're working on, but judgment is even more important. So like, the direction you're heading in matters more than how fast you're moving, especially when it comes to things like leverage. So picking the direction that you head in for every decision is far, far more important than how much force you then go on to apply into it. So you can work super hard but not go very far versus choosing a better direction to head in, working less hard, but you make a shitload of money or distance and stuff. So decisions is really important. I just like the way that quote explains that more than mm-hmm. than the way I explained it earlier, I guess. <laughs> so, it's a really good quote. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Glad I said that. So, um, I think one of the very good skill you can have as well is to be able to take a, like a, a very different direction within your career or in general, like not being too averse to change when it comes to what you're doing in life. Because mm. once you realize you're actually moving in the wrong direction, you need to change, right? And that's like one of the points that Naval makes as well. If you're together with someone and you know that you're not going to spend the rest of your life with them, as in like mm. if you're in a romantic relationship, and I think like most people agree that I think life's the best when you have like one dedicated person to spend it with assuming Mm. you believe that as well you should break up as fast as you can there's literally no reason to drag it along if you know it's not going to happen then you should do it and i think similar with like a career path similar with a business relationship so he says i think at least think it's naval who says like if you don't want to have like a business relationship if you don't want to work with a person for the rest of your career or the rest of your life you shouldn't work with them for one day and that's one i've I'm still grasping and yeah. trying to implement stronger. And, mm. and, and I think it can be hard for yourself. It's one of those ones that's easier for other people. Like when, you know, studies of on relationships, most people that were in a relationship at uni were like, yeah, I think this is going well. And then you ask their mates, they're like, well, obviously that's not going to work out and stuff. But it is something that I find just kind of the style of conversations I have with people. I, I like going into what the fuck they're doing with their life instead of questioning them. And mm. I do make people uncomfortable sometimes when I'm like, okay, so why are you in this job that you don't actually like or sort of you're kind of thinking about doing something else in a few years time? Why is it a few years time that you're going to like actually change and do the thing you need to do with your life? And mm-hmm. they're like, uh, okay. and I'm like, well, come on. <laughs> and I can be kind of off-putting uh, sometimes. Yeah. But other people, that works really well with. They're like, shit, yeah, this is great. Thanks so much for like taking the time to help me change my life. And right. um, I end up gravitating to people that actually enjoy that more. But I, I'm impressed, sir. I'm always the guy who's trying to get my friends to leave their jobs because they're clearly unhappy and not yeah, going yeah. I'm not very successful in that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some that I've learned, like, it just doesn't matter. And some that are just genuinely happy. So, so there's, like, there's the main majority that like kind of need to move, but then there's some that are actually just very good at being satisfied and they don't really need a lot. And I'm like, mm. okay, I feel like they're already kind of wealthy already. Like they earn enough money to do the things they want to do. They don't spend too much time stressing in any way about like what it is that they are doing and they just have like a passive life that they kind of hang out and it's chill and I'm like yeah okay I wish I could be a bit more like happier just with like whatever I have Uh, but Mm -hmm. then most people are kind of like oh this wasn't what I was supposed to be doing and a bit lost and annoyed and yeah that's where I'm like ah you could you could be adding value to the world and yourself in better ways so that's Mm -hmm. the thing in relationships it's sort of like okay yeah, if it's not going to be a long-term one, you should sort of leave straight away. But on the flip side, there's a good quote from Derek Sivers that's like, it's better to be alone than it is with someone you don't like because there's nothing lonelier than being in a relationship with someone that isn't good for you. Mm-hmm. And it's always better to be alone, as in like with yourself. And It's from his book, Hell Yes or No. And I'm definitely on the like, I have to be super bloody excited by someone I'm in a relationship with, otherwise I'm already just like bored. And <laughs> thus I spend half of my time on relationships and stuff. But I'll work it out. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. 
Cool. Um, should we do ratings? Yeah. Go ahead. I'm going to say, why am I always first? <laughs> you should go uh, first. <laughs> I'll go first. I'll, I'm going to bias your decision. So basically, recently I was thinking, if I could give, so I asked my wife, if you could give your 18-year-old self any piece of advice or anything, mm. what would you give them? And reading this book, I actually thought, I think, if I could talk to my 18-year-old self, I'd probably just give them the, the almanac of Naval. Mm. Not because it's like a book that if you were to go to a desert island, like that's the only book you would bring. But I feel like this book has so many fundamental points that require some more digging, right? It's not like a book, like a mm. handbook that you can just read once and get everything from. But it touches on so many different fundamental points that I think are so important for general success in life in any shape, way or form you see success that it's probably like this would be the book that I give. And I would just tell my 18-year-old self, look, this book, everything in there is very important. And like 10 years from now, if you wouldn't really read the book, you'd only learn it then. And so you might as well start learning that shit faster. So here it is. And so <laughs> with that in my head, I was like, yeah, I mean, this has to be like super, super high score. That being said, so this book was never really written as a book. So it's more of a a bunch of quotes put together and like some interview questions and then the answers. And so it's not really structured. I mean, you might have noticed that Sam and I had like a, not at the easiest time going through the book and, and talking about the, the most important points. And so for that reason, I think it could have probably been done better. I would probably like pay 100, 100 euros easily or even more to Naval if he was saying like, okay, I need money to write like this whole thing in one, you know, collective yeah, book yeah. from start to finish. Anyway, Long explanation for why I'm giving it a a nine and not a ten. If yeah. if Naval would probably write it from zero, I think that would be probably the best book on life in ever. Nice. Yeah, I kind of agree. As in definitely every concept in here is great and I feel like you could study this in the same way that like, people study a Bible or something and it's just sort of okay, mm. it's got the lessons on philosophy, it's got the lessons on like just how to live a life in the modern age and it kind of hits everything on how you, you end up on wanting on finding happiness and sort of being finding your place in the world but i don't think it's written quite in the most digestible format of like i'm not sure if i would have got everything i want from it when i was younger and it's something that i I would definitely like want to revisit kind of each year whereas derek sivers that wrote how to live i feel like he put years into writing that book and he wrote like three or four other books first to get better at writing to the point that he could then write that book and he's a similar level of whenever he appears on the podcast or something it's as good as like a naval one Hmm. but he then put the time into writing that because he's already sold his company for like all the millions and gave most of it to charity because he didn't need to be wealthier than he was and he's just he thinks the way he thinks about life is great and then he wrote it into a book and learn to get as good as he could as his craft to then put it and like so i would say that book is better on the same sort of level of this kind of quotey stuff but the other side is that there's always a trade-off with having as much wisdom as you can versus as much like take-homes and stories because there isn't a lot of like nice stories and i kind of do find that you could learn more from some examples that like you remember mm. which aren't mm-hmm. in this book and so i don't know if like the best books are like the short ones like this one's like a four hour or something like read or like the really long ones and like i feel like you could do a version of this that is like a 20 hour version where like you get a story from the about something that taught him this in life and so like i really liked the andrew carnegie book for example where it's kind of how to win friends and influence people it's all the same principles but it's like how Andrew learned each of them from each of like a different story in his life where something went tits up and then like it taught him this principle that was kind of the same one as you get in like the just how to do these thing books but it comes with a story of like oh I can see why this then massively affected his life and he then became like the world's richest man because he followed this life lesson and a few more like parables and stuff would be nice and I think you could put that into this book and make it better so again mm-hmm. I'm on I feel more of an 8.5 I don't know <laughs> we have the scoring system and I'm just making it like up. I think we're at 8.5 so I'm going with that perfect alright that's fair mm. cool um, but being short yeah, means I, I can reread it each winter pretty simply so yeah, again there's, there's always trade-ins so, so perfection's confusing maybe I should be a mm-hmm. bit more liberal with my 10s <laughs> mm-hmm. perhaps I should say 9 I don't know why Decisions. I was uh, so what I was thinking when you were speaking is that I think this book 
has like a very niche audience that it appeals to. I feel like I couldn't give this book to my parents, for example. Like they're not at the point in life where this matters to them. And I think there's going to be other books that I think they'll like way more than this. Similarly, I have some friends who are not very ambitious and they're like very happy with their life mm. um, as it is. And, and they don't want to like, they're like, okay, I have my work and I enjoy my work and it provides me enough money to like save a bit up for the future and do anything I want. And I think these are people that I might might not enjoy this book as much. But still, I'm sticking with my nine. Yeah, so. yeah. I think some people would be like intrigued a bit, but then like wouldn't follow any of the advice as yeah. such. And maybe a book like sort of The Barefoot Investor or something that's just like basic, like how to make a good pension and sort of have stocks and shares that are sort of earning you is like perhaps like a better book for them because they kind of just want to have like their job and, and house and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You really need to want to improve your life and you to be able to enjoy this book. And if you yeah. don't, which a lot of people don't really see the need for that, I think uh, you're probably best off uh, reading something else. Maybe a little Harry Potter or something. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, not, nothing wrong with I've Harry Potter. I love Harry Potter. Really, really enjoying because it's like, oh, be, oh, this might come out in January. But I've been enjoying the Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned that before. I think to you you've told yeah, me about this already. Yeah. A long yeah. time ago. Yeah. It's really great. I thought it was going to completely follow the Harry Potter story, but just like have like a joke about science every time that something happens. Because that's like how the first sort of few chapters go. But then it kind of goes on a completely different story arc, but it still teaches you lots about science. And yet it's still in the same Harry Potter world. And it's really nice and enjoyable to be reading. And it's much funnier and educational all at the same time, which is two things that I enjoy whilst reading. Nice. Um, so it's teaching me about life and is very readable and, and great and appeals to the scientist in me also. Cool. Good. All right. Um, that was a slight, slight tangent for yeah, today's there episode. You go. <laughs> anyway, with that, um, yeah, that's it for the episode. If you enjoyed, let us know. You can find us on LinkedIn and Twitter and uh, yeah, feel free to, to give us a, a good rating if you did and uh, share with your friends. And with that, we're out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. Ciao. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, feel free to give us a rating and share with your friends. If you'd like to ask us a question or give us a comment, feel free to join us on Reason. Reason is Sam's startup that is building a social podcasting app. It is a place where Sam and I listen to podcasts and share ideas and insights. It'd be great if you would hang out with us there. Thanks again and speak to you in the next episode. Cheers.